Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. is there has to be a balance. If you have swim and dance tonight and I have an assignment due for school, we need to figure out, you know, what's the best way for us to manage this. Mm -hmm. And so there had to be that give and take. And that was very challenging. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to, you know, sugarcoat that in any way because nobody likes hearing no, especially in those teenage years. (laughs) So, you know, but, but I think one of the things that will benefit her in the long run and hopefully other mothers listening is that I was very clear in that I still had goals that I was moving toward. And although she was an absolute priority, I needed her to understand that sometimes she would have to be flexible so that I could continue, which was being a mom, but it was also being a scholar. Welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Pediatric Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer. Excited to share another episode with you. Today, we have a real treat in that we get to hear the story of a good friend of mine back from our Stanford days, and we've now had a chance to reconnect. Dr. Melinda Kelly Johnson is passionate about educational equity and youth development. She is a strategic administrator of fiscal, human, and system resources. She's a native of Woodbury, New Jersey, and Dr. Melinda graduated from Stanford University with a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and later received a doctorate in education from Drexler University. She is the founder and board president of Johnson Manor of Faith and Education, a nonprofit organization that educates and edifies students through holistic, academic, and faith-based instruction. She is an elected official who serves on the Woodbury Public School District Board of Education in her hometown. She also serves as the board of directors for the Center for Aquatic Sciences in Camden, New Jersey. 
Dr. Melinda finds significant meaning and joy in supporting business growth and processes for organizations addressing gaps in equity and equality. The majority of her career has centered on the provision of strategic leadership and management with a laser focus on education, leadership, racial equity, and social justice for the least of these. In addition to her profession, Dr. Melinda is passionate about piano music, making time for family and friends, and enlightening young people about the value of perseverance in education. So excited to have you here, Dr. Melinda. How are you today? It is wonderful to be here with you. (laughs) I'm really enjoying this opportunity to reconnect with you. It's been some years, (laughs) uh, but, you know, I'm grateful to God. Yeah. yeah, that we've been able to, over the years, just kind of maintain our individual lives and then reconnect in a purposeful way. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that today we're going to get to explore, you know, a variety of things. I mean, your work, you know, is amazing. And I've been personally blessed by your you kind of ministry and Johnson Manor Foundation. This summer, you hosted uh, summer camp that my kids were able to be a part of, even though we live in different states, thanks to the power of Zoom. And it was, you know, one of the only camps that they were a part of that was, you know, with a lot of children and staff that looked like them. And so it really meant a lot to me to have them be a part of that. And so I'm so glad that we've, you know, way before kids knew each other and grew in our faith together in a Bible study that they offered at Stanford. And then, yeah, we've now been able to kind of bless each other in, in our more recent lives, you know, through my children. Yeah, that was a really awesome experience. I felt so, so much gratitude and also excitement about being able to work with your children. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's not an experience we could have foretold. That's right. Back in the day. But it was really, really awesome. And like you said, thanks to the power of Zoom, like there are things in this pandemic that have caused us to make some shifts. I intended for Johnson Manor of Faith and Education to really be a support for South Jersey youth, but the power of social media has enabled it to be larger and and blessed more families. So yeah. Yeah. And thank you it, for letting yeah. your girls. And isn't that how it. things tend to go? You know, we see just a, a part of the picture when we're, you know, starting something or launching something, but God sees the big design. So uh, even bigger than what we can. So yeah. Why don't you tell us about, you know, your life these days and, you know, how things, how you're doing right now? So Things are actually going well for me in many ways. I have a lot of areas where I'm able to contribute to, and that's where I tend to find meaning and purpose in my life. And although we're not able to be physically with one another, the support of organizations like the Center for Aquatic Sciences and serving on the school board just is really a wonderful opportunity for me. So, you know, I, when I think about who I am, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in Woodbury, New Jersey, and I found myself 3000 miles away uh, for undergrad, you know, at Stanford, which was an awesome experience. I think of myself as a scholar, a musician. I am a woman. I am a founder. I'm a friend. And I'm definitely a mom. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, that's awesome. And um, so, yeah, so many facets of who you are, right? And who we are as women and moms. So, yeah, tell us about your unique, you know, story for how you became a mom. Awesome. So, I would say my preparation for motherhood began 22 years ago while my pumpkin was still in her, her mother's womb. You see, during one of our college breaks, I flew back to New Jersey to be with my family. And this particular memory is so clear in my mind's eye. I was in my Aunt Bootsy's kitchen talking with my Aunt Leslie when I all but shouted, you have a bun in the oven. (laughs) (laughs) She looked up and she basically shushed me and said, if you keep your big mouth quiet, (laughs) you can be the godmother. So I was elated. (laughs) My aunt was 40. And so this was tremendous news. And I couldn't quite understand how my mother and the rest of the family hadn't quite picked up on it. <laughs> so you were I the was first. content to keep quiet <laughs> until the baby was more pronounced and in the world. So fast forward to that date, February 99. And that's uh, Nasima's birthday. So I had graduated, we had graduated from Stanford, and I was back in New Jersey for the big day. And somehow I got nominated to arrange or should I say affix the car seat. <laughs> Why Aunt Leslie chose me, I'll never know. Right. But I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and we all got the baby home. So safe and sound. <laughs> yes, yeah. So eventually I moved back to Jersey permanently from California. And Missy was loved and cared for by everyone. And she was about three years old. Now at this time, my Aunt Bootsy was working for this amazing child care learning center. That just happened to be two miles away from my new job in South Jersey. So I had the pleasure of saddling up this three-year-old for the morning and evening commute to daycare. And I would say it was joyful, but it was also horrific all at once. Because (laughs) sometimes (laughs) she would chat me up, you know, and tell me about her day through her lens. And then other times she would tear her shoes off and rock the car seat out of position. So... (laughs) To say that my godchild had mood swings as a toddler is a complete understatement. (laughs) Those were the days though. But, you know, in life you have high experiences and you also go through valleys. And so the birth of my motherhood really came into full swing in the days and weeks before my Aunt Leslie passed away and went home to be with the Lord. So it was January of 2014. And Aunt Leslie was 55, Nasima was 14, and in her first year of high school, I was in graduate school, and unbeknownst to us, my mother was near death. So this was a time of great uncertainty, disbelief, largely grief, sorrow, and a whole lot of labor. Honestly, at that time when I was coming into to be her mother... And not to take her mother's place, but to be what she needed at that time. I really felt like, how could I be more at a time when I felt like I I was less? How could I grieve? How could I make sure, how could I take time to grieve and make sure that she had what she needed? It was really my faith that made all the difference. Interestingly enough, I, I mentioned that I was in grad school. I was actually writing my dissertation 
on the correlations between stress and spirituality. <laughs> so I would put wow. one foot in front of the other. Exactly. One step at a time. And I was truly leaning and looking to the hills from whence came my help. So that, that was how, that was the launch. That was the start. That was my journey into motherhood. Wow. So then your life, you know, drastically changed in that, you know, one month you know, you're kind of doing your thing. You're, you know, of course, caring and connected to your aunt and your mother and your cousin. Biologically, she's your yes, cousin. she's yeah, she's my cousin. younger cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it sounds like in a matter of weeks, your life is totally different. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So as you know, I could see it coming, yet I was in shock. And I really, there was certainly no manual, like (laughs) in many ways, like, you know, the nine months of preparation I did not have. (laughs) And I had, what I had was a, an individual whose ideas, patterns and habits in many ways were already shaped. (laughs) And so it was a transition for both of us, but we made it. We did it. And we did it together. Together, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. then, did you always want to be a mom? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> this it may sound funny, but it's true. I I love me, and I love sharing the gifts, talents, intellect, faith, and experience that are collectively me. So yes, I've always wanted to be a mom, both in the traditional sense and in the overflow. Because I've always had this desire to give, to share. And as you know, I I founded Johnson Manor of Faith and Education as a youth development organization. And through this organization, I'm really able to use my expertise in organizational leadership to set structures in place to support more young people than I could ever physically birth. (laughs) So through JMFE, I get to love, challenge, and mentor and really provide basic building blocks to hundreds and hopefully thousands of children. Yeah, so I always wanted to be a mom, and I feel like that's an ever-expanding journey. Yeah, that's incredible because, you know, I, I often ask, you know, how do you impact children inside and outside of your home? And it sounds like, you know, you in the youth ministry or, you know, youth community can play that role, you know, and whether it's like as a mentor or a play mama, right. Or, you know, just that, that auntie, right. Who's there Mm -hmm. on a variety of levels. Right. Absolutely. It's so powerful. That's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, mother's day comes around every year and we celebrate many who are in those formalized roles of motherhood, but there are so many women who play that role in the lives of young people and grown children, <laughs> yes, so to speak, absolutely, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, you raise that that interesting and important point that, you know, that role and that mother figure or that mentor can come in so mm-hmm. many shapes and sizes. And it, it looks often looks different at different phases in our life. And then motherhood kind of can evolve, you know, certainly in the traditional ways that, you know, we might expect where maybe through yeah, marriage and partnership and pregnancy and delivery, 
but there's also natural kinship ways that family can come to be. And I think over the generations, it's been something where we often will have grandparents who take on that parenting role of a child or aunties or uncles who take in a child for whatever reason and help raise we have, you know, community systems now in place to to do like fostering and uh, adopting as well, right? So that's another way that, mm-hmm. you know, motherhood or parenting can can evolve and a family can be born. And then, of course, you know, with modern technology, that opens up a whole nother set of, you know, opp- opportunities, whether it's, you know, IVF all the way to surrogacy, right? That motherhood can become, you know, a reality where maybe in the past it, it wouldn't be able to be. But it does certainly speak to the many ways that motherhood looks and can, you know, in in Uh my marriage, right, step by with stepchildren or half children and those kinds of situations, right? A family can come about in many, many beautiful ways. And so I'm curious, you know, Uh how did you kind of shift or become that family? Certainly where there was a lot of grief and a lot that you were contending with losing, both of you losing your mothers within a matter of weeks, it sounds like. And then having to kind of lean on each other in this unique and new way, unexpected way? The how, I think, came for us in activity. Mm -hmm. Because of her age, you know, freshman in high school, she was very engaged in different Mm -hmm. school activities from Mm -hmm. band to swim. She was an amazing dancer. And so... Our bond kind of came through making sure that both of us were able to continue to do the things that brought us life, that brought us joy, that made us feel like we were doing the things that were valuable to us. So I did my best Mm -hmm. to just really ensure that things continued to flow for her Mm -hmm. because we both made conscious decisions not to drop any of our existing activities. So I was working full-time and doing school part-time. She was a Mm full-time, you know, high school student. And also, I mean, if I, I probably don't have to explain to you, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say like dance like, I felt like I could have been on the series Dance Moms with the, the <laughs> amount of time that she was spending at the studio and I was spending, you know, driving back and forth. So I would say in many ways, we became family through, well, we were already family, right? but right. we became, a we made family. it work by honoring what the other had to do. And I'll be frank with you, some of those conversations are tough because Mm -hmm. one of the things that I encourage other moms to do is make sure that their children know that their desires, their passions are important too. Mm -hmm. So what that means is there has to be a balance. If you have swim and dance tonight and I have an assignment due for school, We need to figure out, you know, what's the best way for us to manage this. Mm -hmm. And so there had to be that give and take. And that was very challenging. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat that in any way because nobody likes hearing no, especially in those teenage years. Years. (laughs) So, you know, but, but I think one of the things that will benefit her in the long run and hopefully other mothers listening is that. 
I was very clear in that I still had goals that I was moving toward. And although she was an absolute priority, I needed her to understand that sometimes she would have to be flexible so that I could continue, which was being a mom, but it was also being a scholar. Yeah. And there is quite a bit of give and take, especially as kids get older and they mm-hmm. you know, kind of have a say or have a, you know, the voice to like, let you know, you know how they feel about, mm-hmm. you know, certain things. So yeah, that I can, I can only imagine, you know, kind of jumping into mm-hmm. parent parenting, right. Kind of midstream, so to speak, and having right. to, you know, kind of negotiate some of those things. So I imagine, you know, the practical side of, you know, things like food and meals, you know, <laughs> quite interesting. For you, how did you know? Absolutely. Oh my. (laughs) Well, I'll say this. She is one of the pickiest eaters I've ever come across, (laughs) but she had always loved my salmon and I learned to make mashed potatoes like our Nana. (laughs) I introduced things like baked Brussels sprouts. Mm -hmm. And then these were like that meal is and was one of our go-to meals. Mm -hmm. It's basically a half an hour home cooked meal. And so I'm also not ashamed to say that we both love a grab-and-go Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> Many of us do. <laughs> she's, she's 22 now. So in theory, I'm off the hook. But in reality, <laughs> I find myself slicing up steak for tacos, heating up some pinto beans, some black beans. <laughs> right, right. But there is also, yeah, figuring out how to, how to include uh, especially older children. Right. In that Mm -hmm. process, because they, too, are going to have to learn how to feed themselves, you know, beyond Chick-fil-A. Absolutely. (laughs) And so. Exactly. That is a good, you know, reminder that especially if we can starting young. And I find that I try to invite my girls are, you know, seven and ten now. So they're at a great age to each jump in there. So, you know, similarly for us, Mm -hmm. we love our salmon meal, which is really quick and easy and so nutritious. They are enjoying, yeah, the, the roasted vegetables. You put that, you know, piece of foil on the sheet pan, cookie pan, and you layer your veggies and that is rather, mm-hmm. rather quick as well. So yeah, yes. that was, that was something that I, I adopted pretty quickly was the foil <laughs> on the sheet pan. That's Let's right. not dirty them up exactly. if we don't have if we don't to. Have to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, little kids can chop and, you know, put a salad together, especially now with salad kits. I mean, they practically do everything for you. <laughs> you just got to mm-hmm. dump it and mix, right? So, you know, even the youngest of kids can be a part of helping put food together and it's teaching them the life skills that they need anyway. Right. You're hitting on a really important point because I didn't have the liberty of engaging her in that process at that young, young age. age. And so there was a bit of a transition <laughs> for us. Shall we say? Because <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. And so then I imagine it took a village, you know, to to continue to raise her mm. in the ways that you know she needed and you 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 needed as far as support. So how did mm-hmm. the village help you? in those years and and even now? Great question. I would say my village is family. It's also church. Mm -hmm. For me, it's colleagues from school. I have some good mentors and I have been blessed to have a sponsor or two in my life. So, you know, having a role in a child's life is serious. You know, caregiving is a really serious business, but it's also a ton of fun. So 
what I would say about the village from my experience is that it's almost something when, when she came into my life that I had to intentionally create because I had supporters, but now I was more than just me. It was me and the city. And so I would try to create opportunities, invite a friend over to play Scrabble, you know, who, because that was a game she and I always enjoyed to kind of bring them into our space. And I would say sometimes it was successful and those two would develop more of a rapport. And sometimes it wasn't because I felt like there was a lot of pushback from my teenager (laughs) about people who would offer a lot of opinions or a lot of advice. And so she really bonded more with folks who would kind of almost take a greater interest in her during our time together than in me. And I just want to say thank you to those people because Mm. not everyone knows how to successfully engage a teenage girl. And so it wasn't easy. But I'm really grateful to those folks who just kept stopping by. I had a friend who was so amazing. He literally would go to the places that you have to go to. You have to go ice skating. You have to go to <laughs> Dorney Park. You yeah. can't not go to these places. With you know, TV this is TV. where you continue to create relationship with them outside of the home. And so to see somebody else be get on that ride with you, mm-hmm. that was just an absolute blessing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And when you are, you know, essentially, you know, a single mother, you know, kind of thrown into the mix, I imagine that, you know, help and support from people who took that time and took that Mm -hmm. interest, you know, made a world of difference. And I did have a listener question come in kind of speaking Mm -hmm. to the situation where uh, she is uniquely forming her family. She as a single professional wants to have her child and she's wondering about a nanny. And is a nanny, you know, is a nanny kind of required if you're kind of stepping into a situation where you want to raise a child, you know, by choice on your own, at least for the time being. And so I thought you'd be a good one to address that from, you know, an experiential place uh, on, on a couple different levels. Why don't you tell Absolutely, me because about your thoughts on that? I actually, it was my first job outside of college, I decided that I didn't want to, you know, show up and do rote tasks (laughs) at a company, but I would much rather spend my time supporting the growth and development of young people. And so my experience as a nanny showed me that one, caregiving cannot be taken lightly you know, yes, you're going to have fun because kids are fun. Kids are inventive. They're inquisitive and they're plain hilarious. Uh, (laughs) And you're, but you're going to get so much out of being part of their lives. But that's the thing that I would share with someone who's considering having a nanny. That person is a part of that child's life. So that person's values, that person's style, that person's love is all going to be part of that child's life. And so I think you need to be selective. You know, if there's, when you're looking at characteristics for whom, you know, you think is the best person to be engaged in your child's life, do I think it's a necessity? No, 
I almost feel like it's a luxury in many ways to even consider having a nanny because people who send their children to daycare, yes, they might select the daycare, but they're not selecting the actual individuals who are interfacing with their child. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the experience that you want your child to have. Because for some families, that child experiencing life with grandma is what they want to pour into that child in those younger years. And there's value there. But so maybe there's time with grandma and then there maybe there's other time where, you know, because grandma's not a permanent babysitter. <laughs> maybe there are other times when, you know, you have the nanny. But I think to the degree that you understand what it is you want to pour into your child and understand that you're sharing your child with this individual. And so they will have an impact and an influence on their lives. So choose wisely. Yeah, I would agree. And I also Great had question. some, yeah, I had some time as a nanny as well as, you know, I've had nannies at different points, both living outside of the home, living in the home. And so I would echo and agree with that. You know, I think anybody mm. who's kind of looking or trying to figure out, you know, I think like you say, it depends a lot too on family, how much family support you have and how much, yeah, they're willing and available or how close they live to you to play those practical, you know, care roles. And so if you don't have enough or for whatever reason, don't choose to have family caregivers, then yeah, if you have the chance to choose the person who's going to be yeah, a part of your family, right, in your home, Mm-hmm. much of the time with your child, sometimes more than you on some days of the week. Exactly. You know, you do want to make sure that they align with your values and, you know, what you're hoping, like you said, to pour into the child. So thank you mm-hmm. for, you know, for feedback on that. Good. So then, you know, moving on, why don't we talk a little bit about some of what's gone on since 2020 as far as Black Lives Matter and, you know, with all that's going Mm. on in the world from, you know, last year and really beyond, right, before that. But now, you know. Always. Yeah. Tell (laughs) tell us first about your family's ethnic makeup and then, you know, how are you talking Mm. to your own child and other children about issues of race, empathy, and even now democracy? Mm. Wow. Deep questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll start with the easy one. My family is diverse. So we're from several of the 50 states and a few countries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We definitely have different beliefs, different practices, but I feel like our diversity, the embracement of it actually opens up our hearts to others. Mm. So, you know, when you have people in your family who either look or subscribe to beliefs or practices, and you see others with those similar beliefs or or looks who are being discriminated against, Mm. you have more empathy. So race relations in our country has always been an issue. And while I don't, I wouldn't say I address them head on, I do address them in that The golden rule is something that my Nana taught and instilled in me. Treat people how you want to be treated. And that never goes obsolete. And I feel like that's where, that's the beginning of being empathetic. Mm -hmm. And so I hear lots of people saying, you know, well, 
you've never walked in that person's shoes mm-hmm. and maybe you never will will want to and you never will have mm-hmm. to walk in their shoes but if you treat people the way you want to be treated i think that goes a long way nice. so you know in terms of my faith and my beliefs that's the way in which i addressed all types of ill behavior Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And for, you know, yeah. for those who can't see you, you know, you're an African American woman, and your daughter is African American as well. And so, you know, we have, I think, several layers that we are going through the world, right, with as far as our, you know, the, the skin color that we walk in. And, you know, and when we have daughters, I think it's you know, even more oh, of yes. a responsibility to really, like you said, talk about and foster that acceptance, right? That self-acceptance, mm-hmm. that beauty, that love of self. Because if you mm-hmm. want to treat others the way you want to be treated, you have to have a certain level of love and respect for yourself, right? Absolutely. It, before you can kind of, you know, give that that love and respect to others as well. So yeah. Have you, you know, picked up any or do you have any tips on how to, you know, especially in adolescence when there's so many issues around beauty and around body image and as a dancer, I'm sure there were, you know, issues there. Any tips or advice for younger moms, right? Raising girls who are right in her footsteps. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. It's a challenge and you're up against something that appears to be bigger than you. And I'm really referring to the media at large and the images that are constantly put forward, trying as as many are to diversify what looks like the norm. That is impactful, I would say, to parents who are struggling in this area with their young daughters. I think you hit on it directly when you said it's about self-love. And I think that starts very early on with a child when you are kind of, you know, giving them praise for, for different things they do, for various attributes, but it's also about being honest and learning to walk in the way you present and feeling comfortable and confident in that. And I think that comes a lot from the the love of your family, the love of your village. I love this new book that has come forward called I Am Enough. It's a children's book. And I think those types of books are really powerful for our kids. Um, I just recently did a read aloud with a new author in South Jersey, a book called God Made Me Beautiful. And so I I think we have the tools that are necessary, but you have to make the time. You have to make the time to let your kid know that he or she is valuable and has purpose in this life. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the time is, you know, action speaks louder than words sometimes, right? That you said Mm -hmm. that you, yeah, you have to kind of be aware of how you're using that time, you know, with your children and with the children of others to Mm -hmm. give that specific praise, right? To give that specific Mm -hmm. acknowledgement, not just of physical attributes, but I think the character, you know, as well. Because I think we're so quick to praise the external but what we want to really emphasize too is the internal, right? And, and the values and the the kindness of heart, you know, the sharing, the caring, you know, all of those things matter even more. Mm-hmm. No doubt. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I notice even now at her grown ish, <laughs> it matters that I pay her attention when she wants it, of course. Right, right. Yeah, she can become angry quickly if she feels ignored. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's just something to really be mindful of because not every child is or kid is like her and will speak up or openly display that need to be recognized. So, yes, spending time with our kids is critically important. Yeah. So, you know, I see you as a mom changing the world, using your voice as a community leader, Mm, a youth advocate, yeah, and a mom. How do you create balance? and joy in all that you were juggling. (laughs) So this kind of harkens back to something we were talking about earlier about making difficult decisions, but I can handle and enjoy a lot. That's part of my makeup. I like to, I like to work, but not in the traditional sense that it's work. (laughs) So making contributions to my community as a leader on nonprofit boards, community organizations, that's important to me. I'm really grateful to have been elected to the school board. It's an honor to serve and advocate for educational practices in my hometown. I also love serving as an ambassador for other youth organizations So, uh, because it's aligned with my calling. In many ways, all roads still lead to education for me because I see it as the backbone of social and economic mobility. But in terms of finding balance, it's important for me not to, to overcommit. When I overcommit, that creates anxiety. So I like to take my time deciding if I can commit to serving in a particular way. I tend to take time before I say yes, because I need to be clear in my communication about what I can offer in terms of time or talent. So yes, I have learned over the years (laughs) to reflect, check your calendar before committing, before saying yes, like, Mm -hmm. this sounds like an amazing idea. Let me see if I have time to participate. Let me see if I can do it justice. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Because if you are going to say yes, you want it to be a resounding yes. And you want to be able to fulfill that commitment. So that's a good kind of word of caution to you know, to slow down that you don't necessarily have to give an answer right away. Right. You can take the time that you need to really kind of weigh, right, what, what's happening for not only yourself, but for the rest of the family, the kids, you know, a spouse, if you have one. And how is that really going to impact your life? Right? Exactly. You add another exactly. Thing and I think, you know, one thing about the whole world slowing down in many ways is that it's given you know, a lot, a lot of things have been taken off the plate or at least were taken off, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> not by choice for many of us. And so in some ways it's an opportunity to really, really be selective about what gets put back on the plate, you know, as things reopen, as we get back to life, Good because you mm-hmm. know, we, we don't necessarily need things to go back to the stress level that things were before the pandemic hit. And I know personally, there was too much going on, right, in life, and it wasn't sustainable. And I think that to some degree, you know, a lot of things were not sustainable for our health, for our community, for our our world. And I think that's, you know, a direct reason why the pandemic actually happened. And so I hope we can take time to learn, right, so that we don't end up in the same situation, you know. The uh, same rat wheel, exactly. (laughs) Exactly, that we're in because we didn't take this as an opportunity to be more selective. Mm -hmm. 
about what we say yes to and what we say no to. And that's okay as well. Saying no is okay. Right, right. I think it's okay to think about how this fits into your overall goals and life journey. You know, obviously there'll be times when you just want to do it to support a friend or, or a colleague or something like that. But yeah, it's okay to be intentional. In fact, these days, it seems like it's one of those buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> right, That's come out of all of this. Yeah. And it, it does remind me also of the kind of theme of this year for the podcast of renewal. And I know mm. myself, you know, I've definitely taken time and taken a step back and, you know, taken opportunities to really, you know, figure out how being renewed means to me and what renewal looks like. Hmm. Uh, you know, in this year, hopefully of recovery and healing. I'm curious what renewal means to you and what advice maybe comes out of, you know, how do, how do we renew given this, how all that we're we coming renew? out of, <laughs> right? <All that> we're <laughs> transitioning. Uh, I, I like that question. For me, renewal feels like, or, or implies a, a recommitment. Mm-hmm. So as I was, you know, laying out my vision board for this year, mm-hmm. it felt more like an extension of last year's, which is good. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was recently having a conversation with an educational leader in our district, and he said to me, people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So extending my vision into 2021 felt mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I renewed my, my commitment to the mm-hmm. values and actions that sustain my joy and create meaning and purpose for my life. Yeah. That's so awesome. for me, yeah, I'm still on the journey. Um, we are. Mm-hmm. We yes, are. exactly. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's renewed commitment to, to purpose. Yeah. Which I think brings us back a little bit to that word in intentionality. Right, right. What are you going to, you know, commit to on purpose and t- with intention, you know, to, to do better mm-hmm. or be better or experience mm-hmm. better. So I love that. Thank you. So as we're, you know, starting yes. to wind you know, down. One of, one of the things that you asked me about, you know, when we were talking before this show was you know, about my story as, as a mom. And I think for me, you know, just when I'm thinking about this notion of being intentional, it was important for me, and I'm really grateful to you, to share my story mm-hmm. and to really have an opportunity to say to, to moms everywhere, moms-to-be as well, right. who are right. considering raising yeah. children, to just know that they're important And that their role as a mother is valuable. You know, conceiving a child may not be happening easily for them. But if you're, you're a mom, in my opinion, you're a mom on the inside before you ever conceive. You know, moms have mom genes that are baked (laughs) in there long before the experience comes along. Um, I I mean, if you just look at at my story, you know, Mm. becoming a mom was a journey for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nine mm-hmm. months. It was more like 14 mm-hmm. years. So, <laughs> so trust that if you want to be a mom, you have that knowing inside of you. If you have the love, just get ready, get prepared to give the love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I want to say about 
my experience being a mom. So for, for me, I believe raising a child is challenging mm-hmm. at any age, and it mm-hmm. takes a great deal of love, patience as well. But frankly, it was my relationship with Nasima during those difficult teenage years that expanded my capacity and understanding of love because it, she challenged me at every turn. And I learned that love is patient. I learned that love isn't self-seeking and I learned that it perseveres. And so I just say to all the moms and the moms to be, just keep pressing because Mm -hmm. there is joy in the midst of the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned that I'm stronger than I thought I ever was, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm able to meet challenges. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. one of my major takeaways is that love for me is not an emotion. Mm-hmm. It's a committed action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I really feel like God used this experience to grow me up. Mm-hmm. Like I was becoming a mom. And when I became a mom, I started learning a whole lot more. more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a crash course, <laughs> like you said, crash course. No doubt, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, and you're, yeah, you're, you know, kind of bringing up a description in the Bible about what love is. Mm. That love is absolutely patient, mm-hmm. kind. Yeah, it doesn't put oneself in front of others. It mm-hmm. doesn't give up. It perseveres. And so, yeah, that that First Corinthians, it's like a beautiful description. But you're right, that motherhood teaches you that and challenges you that every day to live it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then what about fostering and adopting? That's another, you know, way that families Ooh, come together. You know, yes. and I'm curious, you know, Absolutely. what your thoughts are on that and advice for somebody who might be considering it right now. Oh, I love that question because early on when you asked me had I always wanted to be a mom, the answer is a resounding yes. Interestingly enough, I wasn't certain how that would come about (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I was very well aware that I wouldn't give birth naturally, but I had no idea I would inherit my 14 year old cousin. (laughs) (laughs) What an inheritance, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) So like I said, moms who are, you know, if, if you're considering adoption or fostering, I think you're doing that because something inside you is is calling you in that direction. And so I there are so many children out here who need love. And if you have love, you can make it because the things the other parts of being a mother you you will learn on the way, but I think it's important also to say that it's okay to admit when you do things that aren't exactly perfect. Like one of the things that I would tell Nasima is I may not always make the right decisions, but at that point in time, they were my decisions to help her make. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, like, and so, yeah, I think if women or even men have a desire, but if, you know, if, if, if someone wants to become a mom, you're already a mom on the inside. If that's, if that's what's beating on your heart. Now you just need to, you know, take the steps in, you actually get to identify, you know, 
how what um, yeah how yeah just Mm -hmm. to manifest it how to bring it out bring it forth like you said whatever it's already been born within you Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's great thank you and so as we're you know wrapping up i love ending on you know conversation about self-care and what you do to Mm. refill your cup so i'm curious you know what do you do for self-care and you know (sighs) self-renewal So self-care, <laughs> self-care during a pandemic. Yes, um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I would say in the midst of this season, I allow myself to do things that I enjoy in solitude. You know, having grown up as an only child, it's not difficult for me to identify <laughs> what those things are. <laughs> I like movies with ice cream. But one of the things that I've also done... I'll do video chats with my besties from Stanford. That's comforting. And I'll take drives with my my Aunt Bootsy through random neighborhoods just to get out and about and enjoy conversation. I enjoy taking walks. We have an amazing river that's close by here. Sometimes I force myself to exercise at home. (laughs) (laughs) And truthfully, that's always a win because I've feel better mentally, physically, and spiritually. I also, I find that I do better when I make time to meditate on good things, you know, things that, that are pure. I try to maintain an attitude, a positive attitude, as Joyce Meyer says, an attitude of gratitude, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. She always says no stinking thinking. Yeah. So (laughs) those sorts of things, you know, I think it's, it's a mindset, but it's also about uh, allowing yourself to be immersed in environments like the river in conversations that, that bring you fulfillment. But I will say this, when it comes time, I will once again return to the spa, which I believe is the best (laughs) self-care facility ever invented. I agree. I look forward to that. I feel like I'm counting down the the days. I don't even know where to begin with the numbers. (laughs) It has definitely been too long. Yes. Oh, great. Well, is there any, you know, are there any final words or last words that you, you know, want to say as we're uh, closing up today? Thank you so much. I have to say for oh, this um, was all of your an amazing opportunity. Thank you. I want to say thank you to you. I am so grateful that you birthed this amazing podcast about moms changing the world. And so, thank you for allowing me to share my story. Thank you for including me you know, a godmom of a 22-year-old right now because <laughs> yeah. motherhood doesn't stop at 18. Right. Um, just so all of you right. women out here with young kids, <laughs> I hate to break, to it, break to it, it to us. Right. <laughs> uh, mine actually graduated from college at home this oh, past okay. December. That's so you might, th- so you think you're getting a break while they're away at college? Yeah. Well, <laughs> here came the pandemic. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, it but I, I would just encourage people to don't give up. Don't give mm-hmm. up on your relationship with your kids mm-hmm. because I've been through those difficult years and there is joy on the other side. Continue to love them. You know, love is setting the table for dinner after they've said something that you thought, you know, you would have never said to your, your mother. Just make sure you, this is the, this is one of the amazing mm-hmm. mottos that I've heard at my school district. Keep love present. 
I love yeah. that yeah. Um, because I think that yeah. says it all. Everyone is trying to find their way in this world, including our children. Give them the space to do that, but give them the support when they fall. Yeah. Um, because yeah, we fell present. too, right? We fell too, and we absolutely there, right to help us find our exactly. way. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. It's a, it's a beautiful circle that keeps on flowing if we press press on. Yeah. Thank you for those words of encouragement. And, you know, especially when you have younger ones and you're kind of looking ahead as, you know, kind of what's good, what's up to come. I think you've, you know, you've given us some great, you know, insights and encouragement to just stay the course <laughs> and likely, you know, keep that love presently, keep that love at the forefront and it all works out in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, doesn't the word tell us train up a child in the way they should go. They should go. They should go. And, and when they're they older, they will not, not depart. depart from it. And you just have yeah. to hold on to that. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you. Can you tell us how to, you know, if people want to find out more about, you know, Johnson Manor or want to connect with you, you know, what's the best way to do that? Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Johnson Manor of Faith and Education is a nonprofit organization, and we are primarily offering summer camps to enhance literacy and also faith-based principles, characteristics, love, and and respect, things that we've talked a little bit about in this podcast. Um, So you can follow us on Instagram at Johnson Manor FE. You can find us on Facebook, Johnson Manor of Faith and Education. And you can check out our website, johnsonmanor.org. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.